Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Well, hey, welcome to Vintage Church again. You know, normally I feel like I know most of what happens around here. But every once in a while, they sneak one in on me. And so, thanks, Chris. We love you. Let's stand together. And we are going to read our anchor text. Uh, We have been walking through the virtues listed in 2 Peter chapter 1. And so those words will be on the screen. And we're going to read those out loud together. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Welcome again to Vintage Church. Welcome to those of you watching online. We are at the tail end of our series called Becoming. Week one, we looked at that main question, who are you becoming? And what we talked about is that God is more concerned about with who we're becoming than with what we've done or what we're going to do or what we have or who we know. That God is more concerned about our character, who we are becoming in this life. And in verses 5 through 7, we see these virtues that Peter lists. And what we've been doing over the last five weeks is looking at them. Things like faith and virtue, knowledge, self-control, and steadfastness. And what we're going to look at today is the next virtue in that list, godliness. And we're going to look at, just like we've been doing the last few weeks, a key Old Testament example. But I want you to think about this. Think about that time, maybe it was in high school or even as an adult, when you experienced some form of peer pressure. I mean, you probably remember that, right? As a a child or as a teenager. And you had this idea or this question in your mind as though those around you are pressuring you. And you're thinking this, is this really what I want to do, right? In that moment, you have to make that decision. And every time I would experience any form of peer pressure, 
my mom's words would come into my mind. You know, well, if they jumped off a bridge, would you want to as well? And I'm trying to figure out how long that, that statement has actually been in existence uh, because I've heard it for so long, and I'm probably going to share it with my kids as well. But I think an even bigger question is this. If I do this, whatever you're experiencing that peer pressure of, is this who I want to be? Right? That's what we're looking at. Who are we becoming? And what we're going to look at in this passage today in the Old Testament is that question. Is this who I want to be as we experience peer pressure from all around us? Is this who I want to be? So here's the kind of the main idea. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We become who God wants us to become when we honor God by the way we live. We become who God wants us to become when we honor God by the way we live. So, what is godliness? Again, verse 6, Peter begins with, you know, in verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement. He starts with faith, and then he gets to knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness. Now, godliness can be defined a lot of different ways. The, the general word that in not only the New Testament, but in the Greco-Roman world, the way that that word was understood is piety. That if you were godly, you were a pious person, or that you showed reverence to God. At the most basic level, think about it like this, godliness is the Christian life. It's the way in which we should be living. And this isn't the first time that Peter has used the word godliness. If you go back, the very first verse that we read, where Peter says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now that's really important, and we're going to talk more about that. But what is Peter saying in verse 3? His, that's Jesus, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The very thing that God wants us to be, wants us to live out, Jesus is the one who's provided us the ability to do that. One commentator describes godliness like this. It's the appropriate respect and reverence toward God and those associated with him. I think one of the best definitions comes from Thomas Schreiner, and he says this. This is how he defines godliness. It is living a life that is like God. Living a life that is like God. So if you have a Bible, turn to our Old Testament example. We're going to be in the book of Daniel, particularly Daniel chapter 6. And like we've done every week, I'm going to kind of give you a rundown of what happens in the life of Daniel, in particular Daniel chapter 6. And then we're going to look at what we can learn about godliness from Daniel's life. So here's a little bit of Daniel's story. First, it begins with understanding the context 
of the people of Israel and what's going on. At this point, the kingdom of Israel is divided. There's the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. And the northern kingdom has actually gone into exile, and Judah is conquered and exiled by Babylon. The prophet Daniel was a young man of noble blood who was exiled during the reign of Jehoiakim, one of the kings of Judah. And as an educated noble, Daniel served in the royal courts from the reign of Babylon's king, King Nebuchadnezzar, to Persia's king, King Cyrus, in 539 B.C. And and here's the thing, in Daniel 6, the book of Daniel is kind of chronologically out of order, but when we get to Daniel 6, Daniel is now an old man. He has been living in exile for decades, and he's serving in the royal court. At this point, he's almost, if not, 70 years old. So he's an old man. And because of Daniel's faithfulness, despite the fact that he was a Jew, he is promoted, and the text says, distinguished above all the others. Look at Daniel 6, verses 1 through 3. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now, don't forget, Daniel is not a Persian. He's a Jew living in exile, but he is distinguished from all other leaders. But here's what we find out next. Out of jealousy, the other leaders sought to find a complaint against him. But when they go and look for a complaint, they can't find anything. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So, After this, these leaders that are against Daniel devise a plan to remove Daniel from power because of his devotion to God. Look at verses 6 through 9. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So they plot this plan. They go to the king, 
And I don't know about you, but when my kids act that nice to me, I know something's up, right? But the king was like, hey, let's do it. That sounds like a fantastic plan. And so what we find out is if the person breaks that ordinance, they're thrown into the lion's den, which ultimately would lead to death. But despite the threat of death, Daniel continued to seek the Lord and pray. Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now, he knows what could happen to him. But rather than be concerned, rather than there be fear, rather than he be worried or even try to do what they've asked him to do, Daniel goes and does the very same thing that he's always done. He seeks the Lord. So Daniel then, after he prays, is taken by these men, brought before the king, and ultimately sentenced to, the, to, the, to death, to the lion's den, where he was sure to die. Now, if you know anything about this story, this is one of those kind of popular Bible stories, right? Daniel goes into the den, but does Daniel die? No. At the very end of chapter 6, we see that God saves Daniel from the lions. King Darius throws the other men into the den, and Daniel ultimately prospers. Look at verses 21 through 22. Then Daniel said to the king, this is after he's come up out of the lion den, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, that is, before God, and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Skip down to verse 28 at the very end of the chapter. All of this happens. Daniel is an old man, and verse 28 says, So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, I think Daniel is the perfect example of godliness. There's another story that happens previously in the book of Daniel that you might be familiar with where Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace. Why? Because of their godliness. And so here's what I want us to do for the next few minutes is look at what we can learn from Daniel's godliness. What does this story and the other stories in the book of Daniel teach us about being godly people? Number one, Godliness is developed over a lifetime, not a moment. Godliness is developed over a lifetime, not a moment. I thought about that, and I thought about education. Right? I mean, at the bare minimum, at the bare minimum, if you are in school, you're going to school from kindergarten to your senior year, right? That's 13 years of your life. 
in education. If you're like me and you're a glutton for punishment, you go for another uh, like 12 more years. Right? Spent most of my grown life in education. But there's a reason we do that. My kids right now are learning, like Gabe is starting to learn multiplication and division. You know, I mean, there's no like, he's not, they didn't put him in calculus in third grade. Because everything that he's learning now builds up to what he's going to learn in high school. And godliness is the exact same way. It's not something that you can just get in one moment and then have for the rest of your life. It's built over a lifetime. In verse 4 it says, Daniel was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Meaning, those were things that he had built over the long haul. He wasn't like from years 1 through 69, he wasn't faithful, and then in year 70 he became faithful. It was a lifetime of faithfulness. Again, I would encourage you, look at, go back this week and read Daniel 1 through 5. And what you're going to find are stories in Daniel's life where he builds faithfulness over the long haul. I mean, think about comparing the story of Daniel in the fiery furnace to Daniel in the lion's den. Do you not think that he learned something about God and following God as a teenager in the, in the fiery furnace that led to him to be faithful while he's in the lion's den? And then there's so much that we don't know about Daniel's life, the everyday obedience of Daniel. One of the interesting things that I found in, in this passage is this wasn't the first time that he went to his room and prayed. In fact, it says he does that three times a day, which was a common Jewish practice, and that he had done it for his entire life. Godliness is developed over a lifetime not a moment. And that's tough for us who want everything as quickly as we can have it. Second lesson that we can learn from Daniel, godliness is obedience. Godliness is obedience. I mean, imagine how much different this story would be had Daniel not done what God wanted him to do. Imagine the story if Daniel himself had bowed down and worshipped the king. The reason the story is so powerful, the reason that Daniel gets in trouble is because of what he does. And what he does is obey God. And what we have to be reminded of is if we truly want to be obedient people, our faith will not just be what we believe in our head or what we say, but it will be what we do. One commentator says this about Daniel, and I think it's, it's brilliant in describing his obedience and godliness. He says, Daniel does not grandstand for the faith, but neither does he try to hide his love of the Lord. He did not go to the public square or the court to flaunt his rejection of Darius's decree. Rather, he went as usual to his upstairs room. So what he's getting at is this reality. Daniel wasn't like, listen, because the king has done this, I'm going to let everybody know why this is wrong. 
Rather, he went to his room and simply practiced the obedience that he's practiced for decades of his life. I mean, think about it like this for us. How many of us are more vocal on social media than we are in our regular everyday lives with people that actually see us face to face? And I think that's the exact same thing happening here. Daniel was just like, I'm going to live my life like I always do, in obedience to God. And did you notice, Daniel didn't go to the public square where everyone could see him and meant, man, look, look at what Daniel's doing. He went back to his room where at least the most important audience saw him. God. Godliness is obedience. Number three, godliness is often resisted. What Daniel reminds us of, and honestly what we see from uh, from Genesis to Revelation, is that God's ways are often not our world's ways. What our world is telling us to do is often not what God is telling us to do. And here's the reality about godliness. If you pursue godliness, you probably are going to expect resistance. I mean, think about the early church. The early church, as they became Christians, experienced resistance. The Roman Empire thought that Christians were cannibals because they talked about eating the flesh of Jesus, and drinking His blood in communion. They thought that there was orgies going on because they had these special love meals with what they called their brothers and their sisters where they're just, they're literally just having a meal together. They experienced so much resistance that they were killed for their faith. Why? Because they wouldn't bow down and worship a statue of Caesar who was a man. These early Christians experienced resistance. I thought about abolitionists in the 19th century in America where they fight against slavery and they received resistance from southern Christians because of their views on slavery. One of the most powerful stories for me of resistance is the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor in Nazi Germany. And literally, the the story about Bonhoeffer is incredible. Bonhoeffer was actually in America. And he didn't have to go back to Nazi Germany. But he didn't want to leave the Christians that were there alone. And contrary to the other Christians who basically went along with Hitler and Nazi Germany, Bonhoeffer resisted that. And Bonhoeffer ultimately was placed in a concentration camp, and days before Germany was liberated, he was killed. If you pursue godliness, expect resistance. The right way is not always the popular way. Daniel experienced that. He decided to pursue godliness, and in pursuing godliness, he experienced resistance. But lastly, what can we learn from Daniel's godliness? Godliness is honored by God. 
And that's so important in light of what we just talked about, that godliness is often resisted. Because when you're experiencing resistance, you tend to think what? That you're in the wrong, that something's not right, that you're not doing it what you should be doing. But what Daniel reminds us is, despite the fact he experienced resistance, he was honored by God. That's part of the reason why we see at the very end of Daniel 6 that despite Daniel's uh, resistance and, and, and his godliness in light of that resistance, Daniel did what? He prospered. And part of what we see in Daniel 6 is he prospered because God was honored by Daniel's holiness. And, and here's the reason we know that God is honored by our holiness, because we know who God is. God is what? Holy. He's called us to be holy. And so if God is holy and we're called to be holy, that means when we're modeling the character of God, God is honored by us modeling His character. We have to be reminded, and this is so hard to do in our day and age, in our culture, when it seems like everyone can see what's going on in our lives. I mean, if you have a social media account, you can share as much about yourself as you possibly want. But what we have to be reminded of is that we live and we serve for an audience of one. Every single thing that we do is for God alone. For everything that we say and do should be for God alone. And so godliness is always honored by God. Every week as we've been looking at these virtues, we've looked at an Old Testament character, but we've also looked at the ultimate example of every single virtue found in Jesus alone. And so the example of Jesus' godliness, I want to look at Hebrews 4, 14 through 15. The writer of Hebrews, he's talking about the priesthood and everything associated with Israel, and he's getting to Jesus, and then here's what he says in verse 14. He says, since then we have a great high priest, referring to Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And what the author of Hebrews is getting at is that reality that Jesus is exactly like us in every way. He had flesh. He lived life like we did. He battled temptation. Jesus experienced temptation. But he's different in that he never sinned. And that's the incredible story of the gospel, the reality that Jesus is completely like us, and at the same time, Jesus is completely unlike us. He's like us in that he is human, that he put on flesh, that he experienced life, that he died like we will die. But at the same time, he's completely unlike us because he's fully God. And we're not. 
And the story of the gospel reminds us that we need both the full humanity and the full divinity of Jesus because when Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins, he was able to stand in our place, to be our substitute because he was like us. But because he was unlike us, because he was fully God, he's able to pay the penalty for our sins because he's holy, because he's perfect. Jesus is the example of godliness because he lived exactly how God wanted him to live. Choosing not to sin. Being obedient to God. But Jesus not only modeled godliness, he enables godliness. One of the other passages that honestly we could do Uh, an entire Becoming series on is Galatians 5. Just like 2 Peter 1, where it's a list of virtues, Galatians 5, you might be familiar with it, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, is another long list of virtues. I want us to look at verse, starting in verse 16, Galatians 5. This is what Paul talks about in this passage. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. In verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now what I think we see in Galatians 5 is how Jesus enables us to live godly lives. Because what I think Paul is getting at is to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh is godliness. It's the way in which God has called us to live our lives. And just like we talked about in week one of who we're becoming, when we're united with Christ, we are then indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That when we repent of our sins, talking about the gospel, when we repent of our sins and turn away from following that way and turn to Jesus to follow Him, we're united with Christ and every blessing that's in Christ now becomes ours. And we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit lives in us. And when we have the Holy Spirit, we're empowered to be godly. One of the things that we've been looking at in our V groups is that reality that the Holy Spirit uses tools like the spiritual habits to cultivate godliness in us. 
And so it's because we're united with Christ that we have the Spirit, the Spirit's working in us, and He's taking things like Bible reading and prayer and fasting and community and worship, and He's using those things together for the long haul to make us who God wants us to become, which is what? Godly. Peter, or Paul says all of that happens because we've been united with Christ and we have the Holy Spirit and we can now walk by the Holy Spirit. We can be empowered to be the person who God wants us to become. Because of Jesus, we not only know what true godliness is, looks like we know where true godliness is found. Every week we've been providing these reflection questions for us to prayerfully consider. And I want to give you four this week as we think about godliness. Number one, reflect on your life before being saved by Jesus. How were you not godly? Number two, reflect on your life now after being saved by Jesus. How are you godly? Those two questions. The first question is unpleasant, right? We don't want to think about how lost we were in our sin before coming to know Jesus. But that's the importance of the second question because when you look at your life before Jesus and you look at your life after Jesus, you should begin to see a difference. It doesn't mean you've arrived. It doesn't mean, hey, made it, we're set, things are good, don't have to work anymore. But what it does mean is you're able to measure the distance from the time you came to know Jesus to the moment you're here now. Number three, identify one to two areas where you need to grow in godliness. What do you need to do to grow in godliness in these areas? For me, I'll tell you, in this last quarter of the year, as I've reflected on who I'm becoming, there are two things that I'm trying to work on more than I've ever worked on. Them. Number one, self-control. Pastor Weaver preached that just a few weeks ago, and I was challenged by some of the things that he said in that sermon, and connected to that for me, a little different, not necessarily a virtue in the Bible, but it's focus that I would have more focus. And so as I think about self-control and focus in my own life, now I'm beginning to reflect, okay, what do I need to do? What disciplines, what habits do I need to cultivate in my life? What do I need to cut out so I can grow in those virtues? What are those one to two areas where you know right now you need to grow and what are you going to do to get there? And lastly, how can you better rely on the Holy Spirit to make you more godly? Because the last thing that we need to do is leave here 
and think if we change a bunch of stuff in our own lives, we'll be completely transformed. Because we cannot forget that it is God, it is Jesus, it is the Holy Spirit working in us to change us into who He wants us to become. How can you better rely on the Holy Spirit to make you more godly? Who are you becoming? Are you becoming more godly? Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. God, in your love, thank you for, for providing so many examples, people like Daniel, but ultimately the example of Jesus that not only modeled godliness, but now enables us to be godly and to live godly lives. And I pray in this time, Father, that you would help us to look into our hearts, assess where we're at, and Father, help us to take the next step to become more like you, to become who you want us to become. And may we recognize, yes, God, the work that we need to do, but at the same time, God, lean on and trust you to do what only you can do to make us into who you want us to become. So help us now as we respond to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name.